this is going to sound morbid, but I promise it's not morbid, which is we don't know how long or short life is. Crazy things happen all the time. And the way that I think about it is what do I want my eulogy or like on my tombstone to say? If I die tomorrow, would I be proud of the work that I did and what I put out there into the universe? And I don't know if I could get up every day and live my life if I knew what I was doing every single day was not going to to the psych purpose. And as long as I do this, even if I don't finish my task, if I were to die, I would still be happy that I died with a purpose. That's Madison Campbell, co-founder and CEO of Lita Health. Lita Health's mission is to provide better help and resources for sexual assault survivors, their loved ones, and their communities with a network of professionals in forensics, law, healthcare, advocacy, design, engineering, and politics. Lita Health is working to create a unique and holistic survivor-centric solution. In this episode, we talk about forgiveness, the difficulties of being a young female founder, and the rarity of ambition. I'm Maureen Taylor, and this is Think Like a Founder. So first of all, give us a description of your company and what you do. Of course, and thank you so much for having me. So I started a company in 2019, right before the COVID pandemic, really with the main mission being sexual assault survivors deserve as many resources as humanly possible. And that means getting resources in the comfort of their own home, even if they don't feel like moving forward or going to a hospital or going to the police. And so that was the high-level idea that was what motivated me. I was a survivor myself back in college who didn't receive resources. And so that is what drove me to create a technology company and really kind of a healthcare company around providing those services in the comfort of your own home. That is beautiful. Is this purpose-driven? I mean, you, you have a calling to do it. It is my calling. It's what I feel in my gut that I have to do. And I don't feel like until I've done this, that I can move on to my next project. I really feel like I have to finish what I started here. And you, I was just looking at the notes here and it says you call this a silent pandemic. I have not heard that before. How did you come up with that? You know, there are so many things that happen in terms of gender-based violence that we don't see. And, you know, I oftentimes will say that two women can be walking down the street, you can pass them. And one woman just have gotten sexually assaulted and you wouldn't know any better and one wouldn't have, right? Because it is not something that you necessarily see on the face. We are very strong as survivors. Um, we go through life, you know, kind of holding this. And so it is a silent pandemic because you never know just walking down the street who you might see who has been impacted by gender-based violence. Well, first, thank you for doing this. And you're using technology and that allows you to be able to really make the impact huge. How did you figure that out? Well, I think when you deal with such a large population size, you know, you have 70% of sexual assault survivors choose not to receive resources after they've been sexually assaulted. You kind of have to realize, how do I get to that statistic and how do I actually help those people? And being someone who tried to do pre-med and then failed out whenever I hit organic chemistry, I realized you know, one-on-one is good, but you can only see so many people in a day, right? As many doctors as there are to patients. And I think the thing that I wanted to do was use technology because it allowed me the opportunity to help thousands of human beings on a day-to-day basis 
versus the one-on-one, you know, help that I could potentially do as a medical professional. And describe the experience for someone who's listening out there. Yeah. So if you've been sexually assaulted and you partner with us, you will have access to a portal that will give you resources such as toxicology screening, STI screening, a 24-7 care team made up of sexual assault nurse examiners. And so those folks can actually talk to you through the entire you know, case and basically say, hey, this is what you need. This is what you should do. Here's the nearest hospital. Here are you know, the options that you have available to you. And then you have all of those resources delivered to you privately as well within the comfort of your own home, sorority, military base, you name it. So to be able to have that kind of service at scale, it is uh, magnificent. Now, did you come up with the technology or did you partner with somebody? Do you have somebody that does that with you? I have an amazing co-founder. Her name is Liesl. She's originally from Kathmandu, Nepal. And she built single-handedly everything that we are offering. And so I think also the most important part of this is having somebody who is my partner, you know, and who compliments me because I have my own strengths and I have lots of weaknesses and vice versa. And we have the opportunity to work together on this. And when you are raising money or are raising money, when you're going through that process, statistically, the people you're talking to are more on the um, male side than the female side. How was the reaction from some of those Of course, we've had uncomfortable reactions about what we're doing, but you would be surprised that more men are allies of this than you would think. And I think oftentimes it's because they have daughters, they have nieces, you know, they have sisters who are all survivors or who might have been touched by this. And with that being said, you know, this is not just something that touches primarily women. It touches the men who then support and care for the women in their life who have been victims of crime. Wow, that's beautiful. That's a very heliotropic perspective. That's really cool. Now, are you afraid of failure? No, because I think I've already failed a bunch. Failure is a weird thing because what even is the definition of failure? Maybe failure is your company having to shut down, right? You don't have any more money. You don't have investors. You don't have customers. That's one example of failure. But I wouldn't actually even view that as failure. I would view that as a learning lesson that would allow me to move forward in whatever I had to do. I'm never going to give up on this. I believe it is the right thing. I believe it's the right side of history to be on. And so even if we had no customers, no investors, and everything you know, kind of came into a, a big tornado of chaos, I still would not view that as a failure. I would view it as a learning um, experience for myself in order to move forward with my life to hopefully make the change that I want to see, even if this is not the specific venue. So, you know, uh, one of the things that we have found, founders are students always, that you're always learning about something. So even including failure as another step along the way, that too is very heliotropic. I actually just got my first tattoo and it's it's a Bible verse. But anyways, the, the, the background of the Bible verse is the fact that you have to have forgiveness, right? Everyone gets forgiveness. And so when we think about failure, we think about making mistakes. We have to give ourselves forgiveness as well as we have to give others forgiveness as well. And so I think the thing that I'm trying to do as a founder is give myself forgiveness for the mistakes that I've made, even if they feel in the moment like it's catastrophic and it's existential. 
these are just mistakes. And as long as I give myself forgiveness, I can move forward. But I think founders often struggle when they don't give themselves that forgiveness to move forward. Oh boy, I hope every single person um, hears this. This is bigger than the podcast. Now you have to tell us what the Bible verse is because we're dying to know. It's actually from um, Luke. It is Luke 23, 34, which is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Uh, it is, it's just something that I've been taught from my family, which is you always have to forgive both yourself and those that are around you that might hurt you or might cause you pain um, because they don't know necessarily the pain that they're doing to cause you, right? And so if we think about like working with investors, right? Oftentimes, um, maybe you do get a misogynistic investor, right? The, the likelihood of a female founder raising venture capital is two, that's less than 2%. So the likelihood that you go into a room you're with a you know older male and he treats you inappropriately as a woman is very high, but he doesn't know any better, right? And and can I say this was unfair 100%, but also give forgiveness for the fact that, you know, up until recently, female founders didn't really exist because we weren't given the opportunity to be in the room. And so we just got to fight. We can't give up because us taking ourselves out of the room is exactly how we, we keep the conversation stagnant. I completely agree with you. I mean, forgiving self is a hard one. And one that I think is an active state of mental discipline that you have to constantly work at. And then forgiving people who have done something bad is also hard. But you write about the um, having power. The forgiveness gives you the power. It keeps the power with you rather than victimizing. You know, I think of something that I, somebody in my life used to tell me a lot when I first started this company, which was... Madison, don't be a victim, quote unquote. That's what he would say. And I, I would always get very angry at that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredibly yeah. angry at that. I would be like, yeah, what do you yeah. mean, a victim? Like, I just went into this room and they, they said, oh, you're, you know, two females, you're under the age of 25. Like, you don't have any credibility to do this, right? And of course, I felt like I was being victimized in those moments. And he would say, don't be a victim, right? Stand up. And I think that that's like the biggest thing that I've learned. I started this company at 23. I'm now 27. And I'm definitely not aged to a point of understanding or having true wisdom. But at the same time, I realized that it is my power to take those conversations in and then determine what I would like to do moving forward with them. And I only give it power if I give it oxygen. I have been attacked viciously and I've made mistakes, but I am not going to let that take away my power. Um, has anyone ever told you before that you have a very old, beautiful soul? Uh, very much that is the case because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I sit in my room and I watch television, I go to bed at 9 p.m. So definitely an old soul. <laughs> you watch television and go to bed at 9 o'clock, that's adorable. Do you exercise? I, I don't want to lie to you, you know, I think we have a good relationship, so... Um, no, I, I don't, but I do wake up extremely early at like five or 6 a.m. I've always thought that founders, you don't learn to be a founder. You kind of are a founder as far as having an itch that you want to scratch or that you just have this thing that you, you know you're supposed to be doing something even when you're a little kid. Does that resonate with you? I wish I had an antidote of being a founder early on or being an entrepreneur because I don't know if I had that. 
but I've always had these massive ambitions, probably crazy massive ambitions, which have gotten me in trouble um, in terms of dreaming too big, maybe before it's time. But I think that that is a blessing that I was given um, that that notion of ambition. And I think that 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 seldomly happens. And so if you do have that blessing of ambition, please use it because I, I actually think it is a very rare thing for people to have. And if you were to define it, so people listening, they can question themselves, how would you define it? This is going to sound morbid, but I, pr- I promise it's not morbid, which is we don't know how long or short life is, right? You know, crazy things happen all the time. And the way that I think about it is what do I want my eulogy or like on my tombstone to say? And like, if I, if I die tomorrow, would I be proud of the work that I did and what I put out there into the universe? And I don't know if I could get up every day and live my life if I knew what I was doing every single day was not going to, to this like purpose. And as long as I do this, even if I don't finish my task, if I were to die, I would still be happy that I died with a purpose. That's really cool. And if there's a tw- there's a 12-year-old in my mind, and some people have heard the program before know that I'm dedicated to kids who are not supported necessarily for having that sense of either purpose or ambition or not encouraged. And sometimes people think they're a little nuts. What advice would you give to that kid who's not doing his or her or their homework right now, but listening to this instead? Well, I can tell you that I got straight A's, but I never showed up to class to the to the point where actually a truancy officer had to come to our house because I wasn't showing up. You know, the notion is it's not about, you know, these traditional systems and how you operate on them. It's how you get to the end goal. There's a story that I remember very clearly about my childhood, which was in third grade, where the teacher taught us Uh, the guess and check mechanism. And instead of using guess and check, I used algebra. When I got the test back, even though I got all the answers correct, I used a different mechanism to get those answers correct. And she marked them all wrong, right? And so to that 12-year-old, I would say it's not about the way you get there. It's not if you're different. It's not if your parents think you're different. It's about the fact that you're getting to that end goal. And I think even when parents might not be supportive um, or friends or family might not be supportive, there are incredibly supportive people that want to follow you and your passion. And when you have that passion and it shows, you naturally gravitate people around you. Now... Your parents are very traditional, and they, I understand, told you that you should always obey the rules. To to an extent, I think, you know, my father was more rule-abiding, and my mother, I come from a very strong line of women, for sure. And so, you know, even when that thing happened in third grade, you know, or the truancy officer came, you know, my mom basically said, you can come back whenever she's getting less than an A. You know, I think I was very blessed to have somebody in my life who stood up for me. And that that might not have been really great in a way, because now I definitely stand up to people. And I don't always respect authority, for sure. But oftentimes authority, you know, has gone there in, in ways of years and years of doing the same work, but not necessarily listening to any new perspectives. And so this goes back to forgiveness, right? We have to forgive them for the fact that they believe that this is the only way, 
And we have to inspire young folks to stand up and say, no, this is not the only way. There are interesting and new ways of doing this, and we can be part of that change. Wow. Yeah, I was very fortunate as a kid. My uh, strict parents, uh, World War II, depression babies. But he always told me that uh, the law is there to protect the good from the bad, and that's it. It's not there to be that unto itself. So good for you for having parents that were supportive and helpful, even though they're traditional, and still they must be petrified. You know, I sometimes when I come home, I won't want to talk about work, right, at all. You know, I will not really engage on the subjects of the intimate stuff that I'm dealing with, not because I'm afraid to tell them, but because it is so overwhelming, right? I think it's very difficult to see I'm an only child, right, their only daughter going through this. But I do think that they believe in me and they believe in all the opportunities that I can create for myself if I take care of myself. Sometimes I definitely need to be reminded to take care of myself and what does that look like. And it's a work in progress. I I can tell you, as of this morning, I got an insight from somebody, you know, who told me that, you know, I I just need to kind of ignore some of this bad and ignore some of the negative energy in my life um, in order to move forward. You know, sometimes you do need to be reminded, even if you are strong and you, you do compartmentalize these emotions, that you have to take care of yourself. How do you mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally take care of yourself? Because if you do have purpose or there is something you want to do, whatever your definition of happiness, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to be of service or to do what you need and want to do it as much. And so you have to be careful. So I'm glad you're getting that advice. I I 100% agree. And and I think you just have to learn about what your tolerances are and know when to step away too. And I also think the thing that entrepreneurs have that not other people have in terms of handling their anxiety or stress is oftentimes we do need a little bit of volatility. We can't control how other people treat us. We can't control whether or not a customer says yes or no, or an investor says yes or no. You know, I tend to create maybe a little bit of volatility or, you know, a little bit of uh, chaos in my own life, like dyeing my hair a completely new color. And like that is something I can control. It is my personality. It is something that is meaningful to me. And so I also think it's okay for entrepreneurs or founders to say in the midst of living in a world where we have no control, you can take control over one thing. What's the difference in your mind between a founder and an entrepreneur? I don't know if I know what my definition is of yet, because I also don't know what I would call myself. Like, we, you know, when you talk about serial entrepreneurs, sometimes I now think about that might not necessarily be a good term, because there are a lot of people sometimes that call themselves serial entrepreneurs, but they're starting up a bunch of small things and not finishing them. I think the biggest thing in terms of entrepreneurship or founder is saying, I'm going to see this through to the furthest I possibly can, and I'm going to work incredibly hard on it. And that does not mean that you can't pivot a bunch of times on the way. I think in general, we know what we want to do. We can pivot a bunch of different ways to do that. And maybe that truly is the notion of being a founder. It's about realizing that it's going to take a very, you know, up and down and crossways and sideways path in order to get there. Interesting. So one other way of looking at it too, founders and entrepreneurs are different and they can cross. 
founder has purpose and can't help it, and a founder can become an entrepreneur, has business savvy to get it off the ground and keep working at it to make it successful. Aside from your co-founder, who else do you have with you? I, I have an amazing team. It's so amazing too, because I'm, I think I'm one of the youngest ones now um, on the team. And I am so lucky to have somehow convinced some of the best human beings from the best companies and best organizations to come work for us. For instance, we have an amazing Lovely person on our partnership team, Dr. Sean Bogle. Um, he did his dissertation in sexual assault on college campuses, was actually at Stanford during the Brock Turner case, and so really understands sexual assault at universities. We have Alana Turco, who is amazing. She was a former uh, prosecutor um, in Queens County and then moved on to the mayor's office in New York City in Office of Victim Crime Support, as well as we have our senior vice president, who was a senior vice president at Axios right before they just recently got acquired. And so those are some of our amazing team members that I am so happy and enlightened to have come and work at Lita. That is awesome. Good for you. And you know, it is true that intelligence, creativity, innovation, zip to your zap is age-free, culture-free, gender-free, everything-free. Do you think you're born to lead or you learn to lead? I think it's a combination of both. I don't think anyone, you know, out of the womb is a born leader, but I think, you know, this goes back to this notion of ambition. I do think that people generally have ambition. Um, and that is something that is an amazing blessing to be born with. And I think when you have that ambition, you have to learn how to be a leader. When I started this company, I did not know how to be a leader. And I'm still learning how to be a leader. And I'm attempting and trying to do my best. And it does not matter, you know, for someone who's 23 and starts a company or who is 40 and starts a company or 60 and starts a company. I think we all have room to learn and grow and become the leader that we want to be. That was Madison Campbell, co-founder and CEO of Lita Health. Lita Health is focused on offering support and resources for sexual assault survivors. Not only do they connect survivors to professionals and supportive communities to help aid in their recovery process, they're also pursuing ways to revolutionize forensic evidence collection and testing with modern technology. To learn more, you can visit lita.co. That's L-E-D-A dot co. I'm Maureen Taylor. Thanks for listening. Series producer is Mike Sullivan. Sound design by Mark Green. Content and scripting by Jacelyn Drown and Catherine Artie. Production coordinator is Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena Persiani-Shell, John Hughes, and Ren Barrett.